Hi, I'm Reed Huberman, and I'm the lead pastor of Soma Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and this is our podcast. We hope it fills your heart with the love of Christ and fuels your day with hope. Here's today's message. In week two, if you were with us last week, you heard that we were talking about we don't wear Saul's armor. Uh, This week, we're going to be on our second core value here at Soma Church. So you probably assume when we say the core in this sermon series, what we're talking about is core values, things that are important to us, things that make us unique, things that we try to uphold in the culture of Soma Church, because we believe that core values create culture. The things that you value the most will be the things that create the culture of your life. And these are the things that we value here at Soma Church. And you may say to yourself, well, uh, that's great that you value that. What does that matter to me? And so uh, we want you to know, first and foremost, that it's important that we develop a culture here for your sake, because we don't want you to just come to a church. Amen? A church will impact your life for an hour and a half once a week, but a culture will impact every decision you make, every action you do, every thought that you have. A, a, a culture that is set will impact every area and every aspect of your life. In fact, when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come to make a church per se. He certainly didn't come to make a church building. What Jesus actually came is with a countercultural idea called the gospel and called the kingdom of God. And so he implemented a vastly different culture when he came to this earth. In fact, the Bible says it like this, that it was like light shining into darkness. That's how starkly different what Jesus had to offer truly was. So he came to implement a culture, a way of doing things, a way of life, a way of thinking. Um, And so that's important to know that, that when you come to a church, you're not just coming to a church, you're also coming to a culture. And so we want to share the things that are important to us here as a culture so that you'll know what kind of church we are. And then secondly, it's really important that we create a culture here um, simply for this purpose. It's important to you because we've developed these things from a universal perspective. It's not just stuff for us, it's also stuff for you. So what I mean by that is this, is that we've developed core values that for the most part come from biblical stories that you and each and every person here can learn something from that if applied to your life, it will be an incredible blessing to you. So we've specifically designed it for the culture here, but we've also designed it to be universal so that God can bless you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. And so today is no exception. Today, we're talking about pursuing like Jacob. So one of the core values here at Soma Church is we pursue like Jacob. And maybe you're familiar with this character in the Bible, but if you're not, I'm going to try to give you kind of a, uh, the quickest view of Jacob that you've ever had this morning in your life to give you just an idea of what we mean when we say we pursue like Jacob. But this is ultimately what we mean when we say we pursue like Jacob. What we are saying is we are saying we are passionate. We are unapologetically and unashamedly passionate Now, today is the Sunday before Valentine's Day, so let me just throw this in as a side note for some of you men who haven't yet started thinking about it. Now is the time. It's a game day. It's time for you to start thinking about what you're going to do for your wife. If you're passionate about that lady, let her know. I get anyone to say amen. I thought I would get some from the ladies, but okay. Um, yeah, so we, it's Valentine's Day, and so we specifically chose this one to talk about because we want to talk to you about what we're passionate about here at Soma Church. We believe that passion is a right response to everything that God has done for us. Come on, do you believe that? 
Passion is a right response to that. In fact, um, the passion is probably the best response that you can possibly have to everything that Jesus has done for you in your life. And you may say to yourself, and, uh, and I thought about this too, oh, I don't want anybody to think that when we say we are passionate, we're talking about a certain type of posture or a certain type of expression. No, we believe that what happens outwardly is a display of what's going on inwardly, but we're not talking about a certain worship style. We're not talking about a certain style of worship song. We're talking about in your heart of hearts. Are you excited about the fact that God is alive and that he saved you and that you are together with him forever? Boy, that's something that should bring a lot of joy. That's something that should bring a lot of passion to each and every one of our hearts. And by the way, might I just say this, because it's a Valentine's Day, you are reminded about rekindling and <clears throat> stoking that fire and getting a little romance on. Maybe perhaps today will only serve as a reminder for you and your spiritual walk with God to just do this. Stoke the fire a little bit. You know the tendency of fire? You start a little fire in your backyard or in your fireplace or whatever. You know the tendency of fire? If left alone, the tendency of fire is typically to, to go away, is to, to, to slowly but surely dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until the fire is gone. You know, even in wildfires, a wildfire needs fuel, it needs oxygen, it needs stuff to, to make it spread. And so the same thing is true of the fire of the love in your heart, not only for your kids, not only for your spouse, but not only for God, is that, that you have to be able to kindle that fire. Paul said it this way when he was talking to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that's inside of you. Put it to practice. Get it to work. And, and the fire that's inside of you will be kindled. Kindle that thing up. Put fire logs on it. Put some fuel on it. Maybe some of you this morning need to put a little bit of gasoline on that fire to get it going again. But, but, but let that, that romance, that desire, that passion that you have for the Lord, I pray, will be kindled more and more and more after you have left here today. But let's jump into the story of, of Jacob. It's in your Bibles in Genesis. You can turn on your Bibles. Turn to your Bibles. Uh, Genesis 32. If you don't know where Genesis is, it's the very first book of the Bible. Um, we're, and again, we're in verse uh, four, 24, chapter 32. So just chapter 32 of that very first book in your Bible. And this is what it says about Jacob, so that you'll understand how this relates to the story and then how it relates to us and what we're passionate about here at Soma Church. Um, we want you to read along with us. And then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, we'll talk about who that man here is in just a minute. But it says that Jacob was wrestling with somebody, and what you should know um, when it says until the breaking of the day, that Jacob has been in a wrestling match for 12 hours. He started at nightfall, and now it's daybreak, and he's been wrestling for 12 hours. And it says, now when he saw that he did not prevail against this person, so the man, this is not saying that of Jacob, it's saying the man that was wrestling with Jacob was not winning, that he did this, that he touched the socket of his hip, and, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. As he wrestled with him, he said, let me go for the day breaks, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So that's what Jacob said. And ultimately, this is where we get um, this idea that we are passionate. Listen to the voice of Jacob here in this verse of scripture. He's wrestling with this guy for 12 hours and now his hip is out of socket and he still says this, I'm not letting you go. I will not stop until a transaction takes place, until you who I'm wrestling with come and bless me. 
Now that, to me, is the epitome of passion. He's been wrestling with this dude, and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then the man, the mysterious man, says, what is your name? And he said, my name's Jacob. And he said, by the way, your name is no longer going to be Jacob. You just received a new name because of the passion that you put on display here today. Boy, you want to you see something in your life change? Just, just passionately pursue anything. This is true of anything in life. Passionately pursue weight loss. Passionately pursue muscle gain. And I know some of you are thinking in your heart right now, and you need to ask God for forgiveness. That boy with the microphone needs to pray for some muscle gain. Um, just passionately pursue anything in your life. Passionately pursue your wife passionately pursue your kids. I know they're around and I know they're annoying sometimes and I know you got to change their butts, but passionately pursue your kids and watch what happens when you, when you take um, an affection and turn it into a passion, it'll change everything. And this is what happened here. It changed Jacob's name because he was passionately pursuing God. And he said, tell me your name and I, I pray you, what is it? Um, and he said, then Jacob asked, tell me your name. So God changes his name. He says, your name should no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me my name? Now, here's where we turn the page and we start to figure out who this dude is that has the power to change Jacob's name and is wrestling with him for 12 hours and then putting his hip out of socket. Um, he says, tell me your name, I pray. This is Jacob asking. And he said, why do you ask me my name? It's a rhetorical question because there's no answer given. And so the point is, is this, is that, is that he's saying, you know who I am. You know who I am. And you'll see it here in just a second. And he blessed him there, the man that Jacob was wrestling, blessed him with. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. So the man that he was wrestling with is none other than God himself. And that's why he has the power to change his name, the power to put his hip out of socket and all that other stuff that happened. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. And so he's forever changed when he leaves that moment. God puts his hip out of socket and you'll be like, well, that's, that's kind of mean, God. We'll get to that in just a minute, hopefully. But, but he leaves that place and he's forever changed and he walks differently after pursuing God passionately in that moment and wrestling with him day and night. Now, pull back up, uh, Sam, if you would, that verse 26 where he talks about, I I'm not going to let you go, God. Now, obviously, just in and of itself, that verse is enough to just show us, man, this is a dude that's serious about pursuing God and serious about wrestling, at least. Um, I don't know what he hopes to accomplish. Is he going to suplex God? I don't think so. But he's passionate one way or the other. He's passionate about wrestling with God. And I'll try to help make sense of this for you if I can. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What you need to know is you need to know the backstory, and then you need to know the story that's yet to come to understand why he is so passionate about pursuing God. And here's why. Jacob, his whole life has been a swindler. He's been a striver. He's been a fighter. He's been a cheater every once in a while. And he's been somebody who struggled his whole life. In fact, Jacob has wrestled his whole life. And God even says it to him. He said, you've wrestled with me and with other people. 
Maybe you know the story of Jacob, but Jacob started off his life as a wrestler, as a struggler. He actually came out of his mother's belly with his twin brother, and, and they were wrestling, it says, in the womb and fighting with each other. And, 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 it, and it even says this, as weird as this may sound, that they were fighting for first place, whoever would come out first. And so when Esau, his older brother, came out, it says that Jacob was grabbing a hold of his heel. Um, when, when they pulled the boys out, they were linked together because Jacob was trying to pull the other brother down so that he could come in first. And in fact, the name Jacob actually kind of means trickster or deceiver, or it actually could literally mean heel grabber, somebody that was trying to make a move to, 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 to get into the position that he wanted to be in. How would you like to name your first child heel grabber, by the way, or even trickster or swindler? Um, Set them up for failure. By the way, you should go on 2018, look at most famous names or the, the oddest names of, that any uh, parent ever named their child in 2018, and you'll get, some, uh, you'll get some kicks out of that one. But needless to say, interesting name. But So from his very inception into this world, he was wrestling and struggling with his brother. And then it says that his mom favored Jacob and his dad favored Esau. And so there's, there's this struggle between his parents of one parent favoring another child more than the other, and it brings this animosity between the two brothers to the point where eventually Jacob swindles his brother out of his inheritance and out of his birthright, and he steals it from, Je from Esau, and, and, then, and then Jacob has to run away because Esau wants to kill Jacob. Well, that didn't stop there. Next, Jacob runs to a man named Laban's house, and then he ends up working for Laban. Laban becomes his father-in-law, um, and, and then He's struggling to, to, to get his wife, but actually on his wedding night, Laban gives him the wrong woman. Now, how would you like that to happen to you? Now, this is what happened is, uh, is back in those days, they didn't have huge marriage ceremonies or anything like that. Um, and so it's in the middle of the night and the way that they consummated the marriage is they consummated the marriage. I know it's Valentine's Day, but I'm trying to be, you know, still, we're still in church and stuff. So the way that they just, they started a marriage is that they, they committed the greatest part of marriage, especially the greatest part of the honeymoon. That's how they started marriages back then. And so it was late at night, and he didn't know who was coming into his tent, and he thought it was the girl that he was supposed to marry, but actually it was Laban's other daughter, Leah. He thought he was marrying Rachel, but he married Leah instead. And by the way, the name Leah means sight for sore eyes. So this is why Laban gave that daughter away first, because she wasn't the most attractive young lady on the planet. Um, and so he struggles then after that to find the right wife, and he finally gets um, Rachel to, be, to become his wife after serving for many, many more years, and then finally has strife with his father-in-law, and he has to run away from his father-in-law. His father-in-law goes after him to kill him, but God speaks to him in a dream and says, don't kill him. And, 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 and so Jacob's life is all this struggle. He's struggling with his, with his wives, and, and Leah feels the, the spurn of, of the fact that, she, that he, Jacob really didn't love her, but he actually loved this, this other woman. And he's struggling with his father-in-law. He's struggling with his employer. And then finally, he leaves Laban's house, and he's out on his own. And then he hears that Esau is coming for him. And the last time he met Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. Esau was coming after him. And so he's freaking out and he's thinking, this is it. All this struggling for nothing. I've prospered and I've gotten ahead in life and I'm really doing financially well for myself. But actually the only thing that's happened is, is that, that I'm, here I am at the end of my days and my brother's going to come and he's going to kill me. That's what he thought anyway. And so when he 
he decides to finally take some action. He sends his family away and he says, this is what I need to do. I need to go and I need to meet with God. And so Jacob's whole life has been wrestling with people and things. And I think probably some of you in here can relate to that. How are you doing on your job? How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in your relationships as a whole? Have you been struggling whatsoever? I want to I encourage you to take a play from the playbook of Jacob and, and just take a moment to, to, to get alone with God because that's what Jacob did. And it says that he wrestled with him, like we said, for 12 hours wrestling with God, finally trying to get to this place where he could just hear from God because he knew that his life depended on it. So this is why he's so passionate because he knows that if he doesn't meet with God that, that everything that he's worked for up to this point could totally be lost. Everything. He needs God to do something, to step in, to do something miraculous, something supernatural. He needs God's help. Well, then the after story, of course, is this, is that after God changes Jacob's name and after he receives a blessing from God, he goes and he finally meets Esau. They kiss, they make up, and they forgive one another. And in point of fact, God actually did something incredibly supernatural and turned the heart of Esau away from the desire to want to hurt his brother, but actually but actually they become friends and they become brothers once again. So there's two things that I draw from this story that I think we need to be passionate about here today. First and foremost, Jacob was passionate because he needed God. And we're passionate here at Soma Church because we need God. We need God. Look at these scripture verses. These, if anything, will show us how desperately we need God. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives you all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what I just read to you is simply this. A challenging verse of scripture that says this, when difficult things happen to you, count it joy. Now that's an easy verse of scripture to, to apply, right? Whenever you're going through really difficult times in your life, just be joyful about it. Oh, okay, thank you. But this is, this is what it says after that. This is ultimately what it's saying is that the difficult things that are, that are happening to you in life have a purpose. They have a design and there's a reason that it's happening. And one of the reasons that these difficulties are happening to you is because God is doing a work inside of you. Come on, some of you guys need to get to the place where the next time you go through a struggle, instead of getting upset about it, you thank God that it came. Because you know that nothing will ever come to you that God doesn't know that it was already gonna come in the first place. Now, I'm not saying beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything that happens to you is something that God did. I'm not gonna go that far. But I will tell you this, we quote this verse of scripture to us all the time, and it's probably like bumper sticker worthy. We say, God will never give you any more than you can handle. Well, that scripture verse is actually taken out of context. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, what it's actually saying there is that God will never give, uh, allow you to be tempted with things that you cannot handle. So the, the, in context, it's actually talking about temptation. But you should know this about God. You should know this about following Jesus. He will always put more on you than you can handle. He will always put you in situations that are too big for you. Do you know why? Is because in those moments where things are too big for you, God is trying to get out of you the greatest blessing that you'll ever receive in your life, the end of you. Where you quit trying to do it in your strength. Now, here's why that's so powerful. Because if you do it in your strength, you'll always get what you can achieve. 
But if you come to the end of your strength and you start tapping into God's strength, you'll get what God can achieve. If you do it all by yourself and all on your own, you'll only ever get what you are capable of. But God doesn't want you to just operate just on your strength. He also wants you to operate on his If you want to see the impossible start becoming possible in your life, here's what I encourage you. Let any difficulty, any struggle, any pressure that comes your way, turn that into ammunition to get better and to go deeper and to go higher in your relationship with God. See, we need him to do that. And and going back to this verse in James, it says, it, it almost seems weird that it says this, like, count it pure joy when you go through all these difficult things because God's doing something inside of you is the gist of the verse. And then directly after that in verse five, it says this, and if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask to God. Now, why are we asking for wisdom all of a sudden? First, you want us to count it joy when we go through difficult things, and now we're asking for wisdom. It's like, make up your mind. But here's, here's what's actually going on. Is he saying this? Is he saying, if? You ever been in this boat? If. What's actually happening to you when you feel pressure is you lash out at your kids. You lash out at your wife. And then your wife comes to you, and obviously I'm speaking about myself here. Um, your wife comes to you and says, everything okay? Yes, everything's fine. Yes, of course, everything's fine with you. If, instead of looking at pressure as a pathway to God's promise, if you look at it as just pressure, God says, ask me for wisdom to look at your difficulties differently. Just ask me for wisdom. And you know what will happen? I will give it to you. I'll give you the wisdom that you need to look at every situation and every moment in your life and to realize that your Christ is bigger than your circumstance. That no matter what you're going through, he will lead you, he will guide with you, and he will be with you every step along the way. And that those things that seem to be the things that were the most hurtful and the most difficult for you were actually the things that turn out to be some of the biggest blessings in your life. Boy, that don't happen, guys, without God's help. Let me tell you what happens. People get bitter. They get unforgiving. They get scarred and they get wounded. I'm making a bold statement here today. I know, I don't know what your past has been like and I don't know the struggles and the wrestling matches that you've had with people in your life. I don't know if right now you've got family issues going on that, that really just that bug you to the point of stress, depression, difficulty, hardship. I don't know. And I know it's really easy for me as a, as a speaker to stand up here, give this message, and just say, hey, just enjoy it. <laughs> and I know it's easier said than done. I know it. But, but hear the words of Scripture. Re- read this with me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. This is 2 Corinthians 12.10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and in persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... That's when I'm strong. That's when I can truly tap in to a strength that's bigger than me when I come to weakness. Do you know why we're passionate about Jesus? It's because we desperately need him. Those who have gone through the most, typically, if I can just say this, and Jesus said, uh, the one who's forgiven much loves much. Those who have gone through the most difficulties in their life are typically the ones who love the loudest. The ones who say, I've been forgiven of a whole lot, I've got a whole lot to thank God for, are typically those who are the most passionate about their relationship with God. 
because he's done such a strong work in their life and in their heart, regardless of how that works out. The, the appropriate response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is passion. Now, some of you may even be thinking to yourself, you love God because of what he does for you, Reed. That's all you're saying today. You need him, so you love him. Well, isn't that the epitome of the gospel in a certain sense? I'm not saying that's the only reason, just because of what he does for us. But isn't the epitome of the gospel is that we were weak and we could not do it ourselves and we needed help and we called upon a God who said, you know what? I love you enough to take your place. There's a punishment that you deserve, but instead of you taking that punishment, I want to take it because I love you more than you could possibly ever imagine. Now, boy, that's passion. That's why it's called the passion of the Christ. It's okay. You can clap. <laughs> yeah, that's passion. We needed him because we couldn't help ourselves. You know, people say God helps those who help themselves. Now, there's a little bit of truth to that. I understand like faith without works is dead and yada, yada, yada. But the truth of the matter is, is there couldn't be anything more from the truth than that statement. God helps those who know they cannot help themselves. God helps those who don't think they're super righteous, who don't think they got it all together, who don't think that they're all clean and don't need anything. God helps those who realize they have a need. You got a need this morning? It's okay. You're in good company. I'll be the first to admit it. I need him. I need him. And I've also realized more and more and more, and I'm realizing, especially through this whole church planning process, that when pressure comes, it's a pathway to promise. And that when things don't work out the way you thought they were going to work out, don't you fret, because it's causing you to do something, to lean upon God and to trust him. You need him. We all need him. Going back to our story here, obviously Jacob needed God because he was in a difficult situation and he desperately needed somebody who was stronger than him in that situation. But listen to this. I love this idea, not only of the name change, of him saying, you're somebody who's a swindler, but now I'm going to change your name to mean somebody who is willing to wrestle with God. You've wrestled with people, but now you've wrestled with God. And that's basically what Israel means. But I love this idea of the fact that for 12 hours he was wrestling and now his hip is dislocated. Jacob still keeps wrestling. But from that moment on, Jacob, every single step he takes of every single day, he'll be reminded of this one thing that I wrestled with God. He'll be reminded of the fact that he is weak, that he can't even walk the way he used to walk because he met with God. Every single moment of his life, every single step he takes when he does this number, he'll always remember the moment that he met with God and how it changed everything. See, weakness is a reminder to each and every one of us, no matter where we're at in life, that God is with us and he is able. So you got a limp this morning? That's okay. Let that limp serve as a reminder of the goodness of God in your life. You know, somebody told me one time, Reed, you just use Jesus as a crutch. This is my brother, actually. And I'll say that because now he's a Christian. <laughs> so apparently he uses Jesus as a crutch now too. At the time, he was an atheist. And he said, Reed, you and your religion is just a crutch. And at first when I heard that, I was like really offended. I was really upset. It's not just a crutch. Jesus is real. I met him and I love him. I got real upset with my brother. But then I started to think about it. And I started thinking, I said, you know what? Jesus is more than a crutch. But he also is a crutch. In fact, some of you may even wonder if Jesus is even really real today. 
Um, and some of you may say, well, this, this Jesus thing for you people, this fairy tale that you tell yourself, it's just, a, it's just something that you do to make yourself feel better. I, I just want to tell you that it may be more wise for the person in this world to realize their weakness and admit it than to go around continuing to think that you're stronger than you actually are. So you want to know the truth? Yeah, Jesus is a crutch. He's more than that, but he is a crutch because I've recognized that I can't do this thing alone. And, and, and if a person has a limp, they're a wise person to get a cane, to get a crutch, to get whatever they need to help them in this life walk and get to where they need to be. So yeah, I got a limp. I've got scars, I've got wounds, I've got bruises, but I've also got a God who is my support in every season, in every moment of my life. Whether you are going through something right now or you ha are not, I want to promise you, you will eventually go through something. So all of us are in the same boat. Either we've been through something or are about to go through something. And let this word serve as a reminder to you that you have a God who even in your darkest moments, in your, in your most incredible pain, came to this earth because he loves you and he doesn't want you to walk alone. He's with you, and he'll support you through everything that you deal with. We are passionate about him because we've recognized our need for him. We need him every moment. We need him every hour. We need him to guide us through every single day of our life. Whether we tap into that power or not, it's true. So I stand before you today as the pastor of Soma Church to utterly declare to you this, I am weak but he is strong. Amen? So yeah, we love him and we're passionate about him because we need him. And sometimes we love the fact that we need him because it brings us to the end of our strength and we can start tapping into his strength. But let me just say, let's get to the other part of this, that, that we, we don't just need him. We want him. We don't just need Jesus. We want Jesus. We want to passionately pursue him. Here, look at these promises in the word of God. Uh, Hebrews eleven six. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, the question I have about this verse of scripture here, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What's the reward? What's the reward? What's he going to give us if we diligently seek him? Here's what it says. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Here's another verse of scripture. It says pretty much the same thing. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and I am your exceeding great reward. You want to know why Abraham was one of the most wealthy people on the planet in his time? Not because he had camels, not because he had gold, not because he had cattle and sheep and different things and servants and all this. He was one of the most rich people on the planet because he knew who his reward was. It was God. That's what his reward is, and that's what your reward is, too. We want him. We have seen him, and we want more of him. So I want to kind of sum up with just kind of this analogy. Because some of you are thinking to yourself, and maybe rightfully so, wrestling with God. Now, that is not just, if that's not the most ridiculous picture on the planet, I don't know what is. All right? So, so this is actually what took place, is is Jacob, when it says that he was wrestling with God, this is what he did. It probably started like this. He got down on his knees. 
Esau's coming after him and he's about to die. He thinks in his family and all of his children, uh, which by the way, his name is Israel. They are the 12 tribes of Israel. All of his children were the father of each and every tribe. And he's thinking to himself, all of this that I've fought for, all of it's going to be gone because Esau's coming after me. And it says that he wrestled with God. And here's the word. This is the first time I've ever done this in a sermon, by the way. It says that he wrestled with God. And the word wrestle is actually the word avek. And that word avek means this, that he got dusty. That he got dusty with God. So when it says that he was wrestling with God, he wasn't actually like, uh, you know, that Diamond Dallas, uh, like Cutter or whatever that thing is, or Stone Cold Steve. He wasn't wrestling. What he was doing is, is he got dusty. He got down in the dust of the earth and he started to pray. So he was not wrestling physically, but he was wrestling spiritually, internally with everything that was going on. And he got dusty and it was almost like he was wrestling on the ground. And that word of that is reflexive. So it means that he got dusty and, and he was wrestling with himself and he dusted himself and he wrestled for 12 hours on the ground, passionately going after God because he desperately needed him to move in his life. And I believe that this, is in a sense, was, was what Jacob was doing when he decided to get down into the dust of the earth is that he was going back to where he came from. If you remember Genesis, it says that Adam was created from the dust of the earth. And so he was going back to the thing that he was always meant to be a part of, going back to the thing that he was born into from his parents, going back all the way to the beginning of Genesis, to that place, that garden, before the fall, before everything got messed up, before Jacob, uh, Esau started coming after him, before everything got totally whacked out of control, he was going back to that place where it was all about just Adam and God. He was getting back to his origins. The Garden of Eden was all about this one thing. Adam walking with God. Eve walking with God. Before the fall, it was all about relationship with God. And that's essentially what Jacob's doing right here. I'm getting back down to the dust of the earth, to the beginning of where everything started, and going back to my first love, what I should have been doing all this time, instead of wrestling with people and wrestling with things and wrestling with stress and wrestling with my job and wrestling with everything that's going on in my life. I'm going to come to you, God, and be with the one I should have been with at the very beginning. That's what he was saying. And now my shirt is disgusting, probably. It's okay. That's what he was saying. Is that I should have just, I should have just focused on you. I should have just been meeting with you. Do you have a place where you passionately pursue God on a daily basis? Where you, where you go after him? I don't say that to you to try to try to encourage you to do something you're not already doing because you need to do. I say that to you because of this. It's an old song. It says this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If you'll find a place where you can meet with God and you can wrestle out some of your life's issues, you'll find that he is faithful and that he is good and that he brings a reward to your life which is better than anything else. Him. Him. Because I'll tell you what, there are going to be moments when you pray and the situation doesn't change the way you wanted it to change. 
But you know what will help you in those moments? Him. If he's walking with you, if he's walking beside you, he has a way of calming the storm and leading you through the storm and helping you with everything that you go through in this life. I'll end with this just last story. And if you were here with us for our first Sunday, thank you for coming back. But also, you heard a little bit of this. I just want to go into a little bit deeper detail um, because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about here today with the fact that we need him, we want him, and we're in love with Jesus and we're passionate about him. And we feel like the greatest response to the gospel is passion. Um, When I first came to the church where I got saved at 19 years old, Maybe you remember me telling you this, but the first thing that I saw was people who were passionately worshiping God. Now, this is what they were doing. I saw men, grown men, strong men, on their knees, tears running down their eyes. I saw a young girl who I knew from school with her hands lifted and her eyes lifted toward heaven. And this is what I thought. I didn't know Jesus at the time. I grew up in church, and and most of the churches I grew up into were very calm. Like if somebody clapped, somebody would look around and try to figure out where that noise came from, and it would usually be with like a dirty glance, like who did that? It's a very, very mild-mannered church, is that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but that's the kind of churches I grew up in. And, And finally, when I went to a very different church at 19 years old, at the end of my rope, I saw these people passionately, authentically pursuing God. It wasn't just a display of emotion, but it did have emotion. It was simply um, people who had so much joy that that it was just contagious. And I remember looking at that person as a person who didn't know Jesus and thinking, it's like they can see God. It's like they can see Jesus. And that morning I gave my life to Christ and I I fell on my face and I wept bitter tears for the life that I had been living and then God came into my heart and changed everything. And then I rose up from that place of prayer and I knew why they were acting the way they were acting. See, their joy had become my joy because I had had the greatest reward of all time. Jesus came into my life and he promised me that I'll never walk alone, that he'll never forsake me, that'll be with me every single moment of every single day of our life. That's that promise. And now I know, like I said, why they passionately pursued God. Put up that last verse on the screen, and I just want to share this with you as we close today. I can't tell you how many times I've wasted hours praying and doing pastoral counseling. Um and missed the opportunity to do what this verse of scripture says right here. See, I, 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 I think I'm pretty clever sometimes, and I spend a lot of my time praying and preparing a sermon, trying to figure out what's that thing that I can say that'll really get to people and really hook their heart. And I've, and I've spent countless hours walking around in circles, if I can just be honest with you, doing pastoral counseling, telling people things that I think will help them, but ultimately it doesn't have the intended effect that I thought it would. And here's why. Because I, I, I should have spent more time doing this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may give you strength with power through his spirit in your inner being. I should have been praying that the Holy Spirit would be touching and kindling a fire in the hearts of each and every single person that I spoke with. Because the Holy Spirit's way better than I am. And he does a way better job at convincing than I can. And here's, here's why. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. 
And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, now listen to this, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. To know that love that surpasses knowledge, here's why it wasn't a a psychologist book or a self-help book that could have solved any of those issues or helped in any of those predicaments because, because there's something that surpasses knowledge. And it's just the love of Christ that is given to you through the Holy Spirit. Today, God wants to do that for some of you. Today, if, you, if you're not sure if you're passionate about God and you don't even know if you know God, well, here's what needs to happen. And here's what we're believing will happen for each and every person, whether you know him or not, is that the Holy Spirit's about to come into this room and flood this room and has been here since the very beginning of service. And this is what he's gonna do. Beyond my convincing words, beyond the truth of the gospel from a historical perspective, and it is true, test it. Beyond any of that, God wants to do the convincing here in this moment by knocking on the door of your heart and saying, let me in. Because I have a love that is bigger than you could possibly imagine. I want to take that good intention and I want to turn it into passion and I want to show you a love like you've never known and I want to take you deeper. Whether you need to know that love for the first time today or whether you need that fire to be brightened and built up and and you need to get back to the first love, that that joy that you used to have maybe, that, that passion that you used to have for Jesus, that the wrestling with the world has kind of sucked the life out of you and you need God to stir your heart again today. God's here, and he wants to do that for you. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our channel for past episodes. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating or even sharing it with friends. That would mean so much to us. For more content from Soma Church or to connect with us, go to soma-church.com. We love you, and we can't wait to meet you.